Welcome to the African American Hour. I'm Rosemary Anque, bringing you readings from the following publications The Voice, News One, Blavity, and The Root. Today, I'll begin with an article titled 2022 Year in Review, written by Bonita Gooch, G O O C H, The Voice. January 8, 2022. Americans began 2022 weary from almost two years of the pandemic. While we never reached herd immunity, a large number of us were vaccinated and thought the worst was behind us. Instead, the COVID-19 Omicron variant, a much more contagious but not as severe version of the virus, was sweeping across the country. Americans who had mostly put masking behind them were reluctant to put them back on. As a result, emergency room visits and admissions were significantly higher than during the previous high COVID-19 transmission periods, but deaths were significantly lower. The Biden administration began the year by purchasing a billion at-home rapid COVID-19 tests to give to Americans for free. Online ordering and home delivery simplified the process. Kansas City KS Mayor Tyrone Garner, G-A-R-N-E-R, was sworn into office on December 13th, making history as the Wyandotte County Unified Government's first African-American mayor. In January, the Community Voice featured him and his leadership team of two dynamic black women, his chief of staff, Mildred Edwards, and interim city manager, Cheryl Harrison Lee. Kansas City, Missouri, still battling with the issues of houselessness, rolled out heart carts as a solution for the homeless to keep up with their belongings. The repurposed trash cans didn't go over well with community advocates. Whitaker was still reeling from the death of 17-year-old Cedric C.J. Lofton, who died in the hands of juvenile intake and assessment center officers after his foster dad called 911, saying the young man was having a mental crisis in January. Released body camera and JIAC video showed, similar to George Floyd, C.J. was held in a prone position by officers until he could no longer breathe. The community was frustrated by a recommendation by Sedgwick County District Attorney Mark Bennett not to charge the officers in C.J.'s death and used Kansas Stand Your Ground Law as the reason he couldn't charge the officers. February. The Black Mafia in K.C., one of the several stories featured in the Community Voices annual Black History Supplement, is a big hit. The story continues to rack up page views on our website, bit.ly slash 3 capital X 6 capital M lowercase fk9. This year's development really got underway in the 18th and Vine Jazz District. In February, the Kansas City Council approved a $23 million deal 
with a private development firm to build a residential complex with the first floor being commercial on city-owned property between 18th and 19th on the west side of Vine. It was a good start to a year with several new projects breaking ground in the Jazz District. KCK Police Chief Carl Oakman announces the creation of a cold case division. America reaches 900,000 deaths from COVID-19. Kansas City Pink Lips Cosmetics seals a deal to be marketed in Target stores. Feature, divide, and conquer. A lawsuit is filed against Kansas' proposed congressional redistricting plan that divides Wyandotte County in half, with the area north of I-70 shifting into the more rural 3rd District. By taking the heavily Democratic area out of the 2nd District and adding more rural Miami County to that district, the Republicans hoped to form a more Republican 2nd District that would help them regain the state's only Democratic Congressional District from Congresswoman Sharice Davids. It didn't work. Davids was re-elected in November. Bel Air. The dramatic retake of the 90s sitcom Fresh Prince of Bel Air debuts. The series was the idea of Kansas City resident Morgan Cooper, whose concept trailer for the show went viral. Cooper was nabbed as co-producer for the show. The second season for the show is planned. Former President Donald Trump calls prosecutors who are investigating him as racist. All of them are black. New York Attorney General Letitia James, Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, Fulton County GADA Fannie Willis, and Chair of the January 6th Committee Benny Thompson. March. With Russians attacking Ukraine, African students are forced to organize their own rescue efforts out of the troubled country. Wichita Police Chief Gordon Ramsay resigns, and Deputy Chief Wanda Givens retires. In another sign the world is bouncing back, Essence announced Essence Festival return in July. The Kansas legislature refuses to ban no-knock warrants. Missouri is charged with making a feasible effort to spend 10% of state agencies' expenditures with minority-owned businesses. The state has only reached that goal four out of 30 years. To continue this set-aside program, the state is required to conduct a disparity study and contracted with UMKC to complete it. The study was due to be completed by June 30th. As of January 1st, no results have been posted. In the slap heard around the world, Will Smith slapped Chris Rock live on stage at the Oscars before going on to win the Oscar for Best Actor. The Community Voice honors 11 black women in business. Feature, racist text threads. Information surfaces about racist text threads between Wichita SWAT officers and Sedgwick County officers. 
Wichita City Manager Bob Layton said he only learned about the text that occurred in April 2021, 30 days before they became public. Not true, said former WPD Chief Ramsey, who said he told the manager about the incident when it occurred. No disciplinary action had been taken against the officers. In Wichita, a 16-year-old is accused of shooting and killing 14-year-old Trangivius Hutton in Town East Square Mall, April. The Black News Channel closes down and files for bankruptcy. Later in the year, Weather Channel owner Byron Allen purchases the network and changes the name to The Grio. Katanji Brown Jackson is confirmed as the first African-American female Supreme Court Justice. Congress passes $35 a month cap on insulin. The Senate wouldn't pass the bill until October and limited it to Medicare recipients only. Meta, formerly Facebook, announced plans to build a nearly $1 million square foot data center in Kansas City, investing more than $800 million and supporting up to 100 jobs and another 1,300 construction jobs. The center is expected to be operational in 2024. Feature, KCK Commission Struggles Surface. First signs of trouble between KCK Mayor Garner and the WYCO Commissioner appear publicly. The commissioners are shocked when Garner presents his proposal for a major property tax decrease at a visioning session. Instead of a vision, the commissioners felt the mayor presented more of a proposal and left them out of the visioning process. Ultimately, they didn't approve the mayor's plan, but did cut property taxes slightly. Administrators of the American Jazz Museum announced programming in celebration of the museum's 25th anniversary. Wichita Citizen Review Board reports back on their investigation of racist texts among law enforcement and calls the city's punishment inadequate. The Wichita City Council makes policy changes to improve the transparency of the CRB and give the board more power. In response to discrimination lawsuits, the National Football League announced a new rule that requires all 32 teams to hire an offensive coach who is a female or a member of an ethnic or racial minority for the 2022 season. May. Based on the organization's tax filing, it was revealed that the Black Lives Matter Foundation, started by Black Lives Matters organizers, had a net worth of $42 million. Casey Mayor Gardner doesn't support a two-year agreement for the redevelopment of city-owned property in downtown KCK that would include commercial and retail space as well as a new but smaller convention facility. Project developer Willie Lanier, L-A-N-I-E-R Jr., who is Black, said he already invested $750,000 in the project. 
Reardon Center remains closed and the project remains off track with no other plans introduced for the land. Kansas City Freedom Inc., a political powerhouse in Kansas City, began celebrating its 60th anniversary with awards and founders recognition event. They followed that event with an anniversary luncheon in the summer. A new boys and girls club opening in Hickman Mills is named after former Missouri State Senator Kiki Curls, C-U-R-L-S. Kansas City was ranked the worst city for dating in America by Sperling's Best Places. Wichita was ranked the second worst city. The study included 80 metro areas. Missouri faces lawsuits in both federal and state courts over its congressional redistricting maps. Feature, Task Force Harshest on Juvenile Intake Center. The Sedgwick County Task Force appointed to review youth correction systems following the death of Cedric C.J. Lofton in juvenile custody, returned its report with 60 recommendations for changes in the Kansas Department of Children and Families, DCF, law enforcement and youth corrections programs. The report's most pointed recommendations were targeted at the staff, systems and processes at the Juvenile Intake and Assessment Center, JIAC, where CJ was held down in a prone, on his stomach position for nearly 25 minutes until he was rendered unconscious. The Leeds Dunbar neighborhood in Kansas City, home to the historic Liberty Park, renamed Yvonne Starks Wilson Park, celebrated its 100th anniversary. Two black female officers Rashonda Williams and Alexis Bush Bailey with the Kansas City Police Department sued the KC Board of Police Commissioners, citing discrimination and a hostile work environment. Kansas Supreme Court upheld the Republican-drawn congressional redistricting map that reduced voter power in Wyandotte County by splitting the county between two congressional districts. Both Kansas and Missouri legislatures concluded their annual sessions. Kansas passed a gradual reduction of taxes on food and sports betting. Missouri passed nurseries in prisons. Both failed to pass the marijuana legislation. Medical in Kansas and recreational in Missouri, which in Missouri left the issue for consideration by a ballot initiative. June. The U.S. Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade that guaranteed a woman's right to abortion. After 12 years in office, incumbent Missouri Senator Ray Blunt decided not to run for re-election and floodgates opened with people seeking to replace him. There were 21 Republicans, 11 Democrats, one Libertarian, and one Constitution Party candidate vying to replace him. Six of the Democrats were African Americans, all who failed to gain traction after millionaire 
Trudy Bush Valentine entered the race. Lincoln Cole's National Alumni Association opened an alumni memory room inside Lincoln High School. The first Juneteenth as a federal holiday was celebrated in a big way across Kansas City, Wichita, and the state of Kansas. Wichita's Riverfest was back with a full nine-day schedule that included performances by war. Broadway season and Tony Award nominees were so black. 16 of the actors nominated for the 33 performance roles were black. The season was also marked by the embrace of seven black playwrights. In addition, two Broadway theaters were being renamed for black icons James Earl Jones and Lena Horne. Herschel Walker, candidate for U.S. Senate in Georgia, began a chain of denials when he claimed he never denied having four children, even though he had never publicly disclosed their existence before. Later in the election cycle, Walker on at least two occasions denied paying for two other women to have abortions. In Kansas City, the recently approved Tenants' Right to Free Council Law went into operation. The law provides tenants facing eviction free legal counsel. July, the culmination of a 13-year effort, WE Development Credit Union organizers announced approval of their charter for Community Development Credit Union. CDCUs typically serve populations that have limited access to safe financial services. WE Development chartered to serve an area east of Troost, opened in early December. Missouri's revised election laws tightened up on acceptable identifications for voting. In the past, voters could present a variety of different identification, including a utility bill or voting card. Under the new law, only government-issued IDs are acceptable. The bill did create a two-week window to cast an absentee ballot without an excuse. Japan's Panasonic Corporation selected Kansas as the location for a multi-billion dollar mega factory to produce electric vehicle batteries. The company, lured by a large taxpayer-funded incentive package, is expected to employ 4,000 workers. The Wichita City Council voted to use $1 million from the American Rescue Plan Act to provide infrastructure, refrigerated cases to be used for convenience and dollar-type stores, to keep and stock fresh fruits and vegetables. The Lynette Woodard Center, formerly the MEFSEC, Moving Effectively for Social and Economic Change, celebrated its 50th anniversary. The center, located at 18th and Voltusia in Wichita, was known as one of the top places to play high-quality basketball in the country. August. The Kansas African American Museum in Wichita announced plans for a new location at 201 North Main in downtown. While the building has been purchased, the museum kicked off a $5 million capital campaign to renovate the facility. 
The city of Wichita finally announced discipline for officers involved in sending racist texts. Three were suspended without pay for 15 days. The other two were prohibited from serving in any special assignments until they undergo a cultural assessment, training, and coaching program led by a community psychologist. The Reverend Lincoln Montgomery, longtime senior pastor of Tabernacle Baptist Church in Wichita, retired. The beloved pastor died September 12th from cancer. The federal government filed civil charges against four Louisville police officers over the drug raid that led to the death of Breonna Taylor. Wichita residents and people across the state mourned the sudden and unexpected death of Kansas State Senator Gail Finney, F-I-N-N-E-Y. The well-respected and beloved representative had already decided not to seek re-election, a deal some people weren't pleased by pretty much secured a seat for her self-selected replacement, Ford Carr, C-A-R-R. September, Bonita Gooch, G-O-O-C-H, the Community Voice Editor-in-Chief, was inducted into the Wichita Black Business Hall of Fame. The Wichita City Council secured a firm to do a thorough review of the city's police department. The hired firm conducted a similar review of the Louisville, Kentucky Police Department following the death of Breonna Taylor. The report is due in six months. New COVID-19 boosters designed to fight the Omicron variant were finally available. The Wichita City Council decriminalized marijuana by voting to remove possession of marijuana and fentanyl test strips as violations in the municipal code. The Kansas Department of Health and Environment finally decided to make Wichita's Northeast and predominantly black neighborhoods aware of a 15-year-old cancerous chemical spill at Union Pacific Railroad site that had spread, creating a two-mile toxic plume in the community, contaminating soil and groundwater in its path. Charges were filed against retired KCK police captain Roger Golubsky, G-O-L-U-B, SKI, who had been the subject of brazen legends in Wyandotte County for decades. In September, he was indicted on six federal counts, including rape, sexual assault, and kidnapping. In November, Golubsky and three other men were charged with conspiring to hold young women in a condition of involuntary sexual servitude, and another charge for holding an underage female in a condition of involuntary servitude. October. After more than a year of committee work led by Councilwoman Rayana Parks Shaw, R-Y-A-N-A, Kansas City rolled out its new Zero KC plan to end homelessness. The plan is built on a successful housing first model, being used successfully in other cities like Houston. The philosophy, get people in housing first, then address their other needs. KC Public Schools proposed a far-reaching reorganization 
that would close 10 schools, build or expand others, and free up plans for academic goals. The plan didn't go over well, with most people opposed to the closing of their neighborhood school. A woman who escaped an abductor's basement helped expose a problem of missing black women in Kansas City. Brian Betts, B-E-T-T-S, and Celester McKinney, C-E-L-E-S-T-E-R, who have both served 20 years for a crime they didn't commit, were awarded another evidentiary hearing. Their uncle, who testified against them, recanted his testimony years ago, saying he was forced to identify them by police. In a Golubsky connection, the duo's attorney revealed the relationship between the individual murdered and the KCPD officer Golubsky was not revealed in the trial. It turned out the victim was Golubsky's nephew by marriage. In December, the judge turned down their request for a new trial, saying the uncle's testimony wasn't convincing. Wichita City Council named Joseph Sullivan, a 38-year-old veteran of the Philadelphia Police Department, as Wichita's next police chief. November. An ordinance has been prepared for the Kansas City Council's consideration that would establish a reparations commission charged with studying, developing, adopting, and implementing a reparations plan for Kansas City Black community in five core areas, housing, education, health care, economic development, and criminal justice. The ordinance appears stalled. Wichita Councilman Brandon Johnson announced the allocation of $1 million to turn Finlay Ross Park in downtown Wichita into a site that highlights more of Wichita's African-American history. The park, located on Douglas, just west of Century 2, will house the 20-foot-long bronze sculpture depicting the Wichita NAACP youth led Dockham Drugstore sit-in. President Biden pardons thousands of Americans convicted of simple possession of marijuana under federal law. The Community Voice was selected as one of the eight Black-owned local news organizations for participation in the second cohort of the Night X LMA Bloom Lab, a three-year immersive experience designed to help participants transform to the next level in their path to long-term sustainability. Election results. Maxwell Frost, 25, became the first Gen Z elected to Congress. With the election of Karen Bass, B-A-S-S, as the mayor of Los Angeles, African Americans are now the top elected officials in the nation's four largest cities. Jalen Smith, 18, is elected the youngest black mayor in America. Wes Moore was elected governor of Maryland. He is the only black governor in the United States. Jackson County Board of Commissioners gets a brand new look. The commission, which had two minority members, now has 
a majority minority membership with four black members, two minorities, and three whites. Frank White, African-American, returns as Jackson County Executive. Get prepared. Missouri primaries for local races, including commission, councils, and school board, are the first Tuesday in April. Candidate filing has closed, and some races have as many as five candidates. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, has a record opening. Bobby Bostic, B-O-S-T-I-C, was released on parole after 27 years in Missouri prison. The St. Louis native behind bars since age 16 was among 100 people given life sentences as juveniles who got a new chance at parole with the 2021 law. December. Hakeem Jeffries, H-A-K-E-E-M, made history when he was selected U.S. House Minority Leader, replacing Nancy Pelosi, who decided not to run again. Jeffries is the first African American to serve in this role for either party. Due primarily to shortage of firefighters, the city of Wichita has temporarily changed its hiring procedure. Now firefighter recruits can get paid $19 an hour while they complete their required EMT certification. Recreational marijuana became legal in Missouri. We took a deep look at what's in and what's not in the new law. You should read it if you plan to smoke or would like to get a license to operate a dispensary. Visit www.communityvoiceks.com slash marijuana. Construction remains on schedule for a March 2023 opening for the new Kansas City International Airport Terminal. Visit our site to learn more about the terminal or to take a tour inside the terminal. Valley Center and Topeka High Schools completed an, an investigation of a racial incident at a basketball game. The white students at Valley Center High have been disciplined and a further reconciliation between the two schools is planned. With just 38 African-American students out of 1,000, the incident helped the school uncover a much deeper internal racial problem. Black Lives Matter Foundation established a student relief fund as loan forgiveness stalls. Individual awards under the program depend on the amount of the student debt an individual has ranges between $1,500 and $4,500. Missouri Republicans file a bill that will automatically expunge a person's record when they're eligible. Following 12 community listening sessions, Interim KCKPS Superintendent Jennifer Collier, C-O-L-L-I-E-R, recommended to the school board closing just two schools instead of 10. The school board dismissed into a private executive session to discuss which schools they would close. The board is expected to take up the recommendation during their first meeting in January. The Community Voice concluded its year-long shift, pivot, 
Thrive Awards program, which honored successful businesses in Wichita with an awards dinner. The awards program was a partnership with the Koch Industries, K-O-C-H. At the last meeting of the year, Wyandotte County Commissioners voted to strip the mayor of some of his power. The mayor is no longer able to prevent items approved in any of the city's four standing committees from advancing to the full agenda for discussion and vote. After a nationwide search, the Kansas City Board of Police Commissioners appointed Stacy Graves, G-R-A-V-E-S, formerly acting deputy chief in the Kansas City Police Department as the department's new chief of police. She becomes the department's first female chief. This article is titled, 2022 Year in Review, a look back at stories that happened in the Community Voice in 2022 by Bonita Gooch, The Voice, January 8, 2023. The next article is titled, The Incredible Henry Box Brown. This black man mailed himself to Pennsylvania to escape slavery. Written by Bilal G. Morris, Senior Editor, News 1, November 14, 2022. There once was a black man who, like so many others in the antebellum South, was trapped under the oppressive thumb of slavery. But one day, a magic trick and a box would change his life forever. Here is the incredible tale of Henry Box Brown, a black folklore legend that rarely gets his story told. Henry Brown was born a slave sometime around 1815 in Louisa County, Virginia. As a teenager, Brown's slave owner became ill and died. Brown then was sold to a slaver in Richmond, where he was forced to work at a tobacco factory. Although his life was in complete bondage, he was permitted to take a wife. The antebellum South was a violent and horrific time for Black people in America. The economy in the South was booming, and white slave owners wanted nothing more than to keep the money rolling in. To do this, slave owners allowed some of their slaves to marry and produce children. This ensured more slaves for the white masters to own and or sell. In 1836, Henry Brown married Nancy, and they had three beautiful children. Nancy and the children were then sold to another slave owner who had his own malicious ideas about how to torture Brown and his family. Using Brown's family as pawns, Nancy's new slave master began blackmailing Brown into renting a house for Nancy and the children. If Brown missed payments, his family would be sold away. Brown pushed and pushed to continue to make these payments, but eventually he could no longer meet the slaveholders' demands. And in 1848, his wife and children were sold to a plantation in North Carolina. Brown's wife was also pregnant with their fourth child when she was sold away. The move almost destroyed Henry Brown. His family meant everything to him, 
and for them to be ripped away from him like that was devastating. But Brown was a resilient and creative man. He channeled his sadness and anger into an idea that would not only bring him freedom, but would also bring him fame and fortune. With the help of a black freeman and a sympathetic white shoemaker, Brown concocted an idea to stuff himself in a box, pretend to be dry goods, and mail himself to the free city of Philadelphia. The idea was insane, but Brown's freedom meant more than his sanity. With the help of his co-conspirators, Brown commissioned the creation of a wooden rectangular box about three by two feet wide and two and a half feet high with three small holes for air. On March 29th, 1849, Brown stuffed himself into the tiny box with just a small flask of water and an awl, A-W-L, to punch more holes in the box if he needed more air. Brown was then nailed into the box marked this side up with care, and the box was taken to the post office to be shipped. During the brutal 27-hour trip, Brown was banged and jolted around the entire trip. At one point, his box ended up right side up, which he describes as a close-to-death experience. I felt my eyes swelling as they would burst from their sockets, and the veins on my temple were dreadfully distended with pressure of blood on my head, Brown wrote. I felt a cold sweat coming over me that seemed to be warning that death was about to terminate my earthly miseries. Before arriving in Philadelphia, Brown's box made a pit stop in Washington, D.C., where it was carried on a wagon to the train depot. Brown worried that the stop would cause his plan to be thwarted, so he stayed as quiet and still as he could until his box was back on its journey. It was tossed around and slammed on the ground multiple times, audibly crackling Brown's neck and knocking him almost unconscious. Henry's incredible journey to freedom would end after his box arrived at the headquarters of the Philadelphia Anti-Slavery Society. Brown, excited but beat up and bruised, emerged from the box a free man. Elated but humbled to have survived such a brutal journey, Brown stepped out of the box singing the Bible passage, Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. Henry Brown, the slave boy who worked on a plantation, was gone forever. He was now Henry Box Brown, the first person to ever mail themselves from slavery to freedom. He became a magician, lecturer, and storyteller, traveling the country and performing his story, as well as mocking the ills of slavery. He became a household name, and folks all over the country spoke of his tales. He would even perform in front of the likes of Frederick Douglass, who openly disapproved of Brown's openness to tell the world his story in fear that it would hinder other black slaves who wanted to follow in his footsteps. After the Fugitive Slave Act was passed in 1850, Brown's story and fame 
would put a target on his back as slave masters around the country felt emboldened to hunt down former slaves who had escaped bondage. Brown was determined to keep the new life he built, so he moved to Great Britain and continued to build on his lure and legacy. He would stay in England, touring the country for the next 25 years, where he remarried and fathered a daughter. Although he tried to purchase his first family from slavery, he was never able to do so. In 1875, he returned to the U.S. a wealthy and well-traveled man. He would continue to perform as a magician in the States, as well as Canada, until 1889. Henry Box Brown died in Toronto, Canada on June 15, 1897. Brown's legacy is unparalleled. His creative and enduring journey led the way for success of the Underground Railroad. He showed black slaves all over the South that escaping bondage and creating a life outside of slavery was possible for black people. He also inspired some famous magicians like Harry Houdini, whose coffin escape trip garnered worldwide recognition. Henry Fox Brown, here are your flowers. Your fortitude and perseverance deserve to be celebrated with the rest of the Black greats from American history. This article is titled, The Incredible Henry Box Brown. This Black man mailed himself to Pennsylvania to escape slavery. Written by Bilal G. Morris, News 1, November 14, 2022. The next article is titled, Riverdale star Ashley Murray's final viral reaction to her true mirror reflection is making everyone on TikTok emotional. Written by Tomas Casahun, K-A-S-S-A-H-U-N, Blavity, January 6, 2023. A video of Riverdale star Ashley Murray has gone viral on TikTok. In the video, she shows her radiant smile while looking at a 3D mirror reflection of herself. Murray was stunned when she looked at herself in the true mirror, a mirror that lets people see a very realistic reflection of themselves as they appear to other people. The actress, who has also starred in Katie King and Tom Swift, had a life-changing experience when she went out on New Year's Eve and met a man who let her try the true mirror experience. Murray was shocked when she compared her reflection in the true mirror with an average mirror. The man explained to Murray that the true mirror doesn't show a backward reflection of the person like a regular mirror. Your eyes, they communicate directly this way, the man said, as Murray looked in the true mirror with a stunned expression. So this is what people are seeing when they're looking at me, Murray responded. That's so cool. The true mirror sold on Amazon tells people to see the real you. You can look into your own eyes as they really communicate, the mirror makers wrote. According to the company, the unique tool doesn't have a left or right reversal. Shows you as you actually are not just physically, but personally as well, the description states. Hair parts and style show correctly. 
Even makeup is applied better because the image is 3D as well as true. TikTok users fell in love with Murray after seeing her stunned expression while looking in the 3D mirror. After thousands of people commented and reminded her how beautiful she looked, Murray thanked her supporters with a video response. When she usually looks in a regular mirror, Murray said, she has to force herself to feel pretty. But while looking in the true mirror, Murray said, she saw her authentic self and realized how beautiful she is. I was just like, she's pretty, Murray said, and that's what made me uncomfortable. It made me uncomfortable to be having so many positive thoughts about myself. I'm not used to that. I'm not used to only saying you're pretty, you're beautiful, and actually meaning and feeling it. This article is titled, Riverdale star Ashley Murray's viral reaction to her true mirror reflection is making everyone on TikTok emotional. By Tomas Kasahun Blavity, January 6, 2023. The next article is titled, Meet Princess Jenkins, owner of Harlem's The Brownstone, by Amira Castilla, A-M-I-R-A-C-A-S-T-I-L-L-A, The Root, December 20th, 2022. Princess Jenkins, proud owner of Harlem-based boutique The Brownstone, was recently awarded a $5,000 grant after being named one of the winners of the first Carver Federal Savings Bank and the Greater Harlem Chamber of Commerce 2022 Minority Women-Owned Business Pitch Competition. The goal of the competition? To get minority women-owned businesses to pitch a plan that will help make their businesses more environmentally friendly. Jenkins, whose store specializes in selling, styling, and tailoring women's clothing, from size 12 to 20, won the competition by pitching a virtual catalog for her boutique as opposed to the 200,000 page print catalogs that would traditionally go to her 5,000 customers. In her pitch, Jenkins included a shocking fact to help put into perspective how important her plan is for the environment. We're going to save the lives of 200 trees, she said. And if you were to line them up, they would go across 125th Street from beginning to end, and you'd still have trees left. In addition to a virtual catalog, the entrepreneur will also use part of the grant money to install environmentally friendly lighting inside the boutique. Carver Federal Savings Bank which is also Harlem-based, is one of the largest African-American-operated banks in the United States. President and CEO of Carver Bancor, Michael Pugh, P-U-G-H, spoke with The Root to give some background on the competition. Carver Federal Savings Bank and the Greater Harlem Chamber of Commerce wanted to do something together that would support women entrepreneurs, because we know specifically that black and brown women of color are within a nation of business owners that is growing. The second thing that we thought about was the impact of climate change 
and we know that when there are any changes in our ecosystem, our nation, the world, people of color oftentimes are impacted by those changes first, and in many cases, the most. We knew we needed to do something that would send a strong message and encourage small businesses to be thinking about ways that they could help reduce their carbon footprint. The Brownstone was established in Harlem in 1998 to create a comfortable environment for mid-size and plus-size women. Jenkins mentions that there is a sign in the store that reads, Beware. By wearing this clothing, you may get too many compliments. The messaging is intentional to make all of her customers feel confident and beautiful when they wear her pieces. The boutique was also created to give full-figured women a place to shop freely and learn to feel comfortable in whatever size they wear. What I think that I love about the brownstone is the fact that there's a level of comfort. Some people can be intimidated by fashion. And since I love women and I love fashion, that's what they're going to get when they come into the door. This article is titled, Meet Princess Jenkins owner of Harlem's The Brownstone, by Amira Castilla, The Root, December 20th, 2022. The next article is titled, On MLK Day, Malcolm Brogdon, B-R-O-G-D-O-N, has a personal civil rights leader to look up to. Written by Mark J. Spears and Scape, January 16th, 2023. For Boston Celtics guard Malcolm Brogdon, the arrival of MLK Day always brings back memories of another civil rights leader who knew Dr. Martin Luther King, his grandfather, John Hurst Adams, who was a civil rights legend in his own right. For me, my grandfather is my MLK, Brogdon recently told Anscape. That's the person that really led the way for me, that showed me how to live a decent life, how to be a decent man, and how to impact millions of people. Adams was a former bishop of the African Methodist Episcopal Church, an outspoken social justice activist, and a former college president. There were respectful headlines all over the nation when King's college classmate passed away at age 90 on January 10, 2018, in Atlanta. The Brogdon Family Foundation celebrates the legacy of Brogdon's grandfather with the JHA Project, which supports education for children worldwide through literacy programming, mentoring, and experiences. Adams was born on November 27, 1927, in Columbia, South Carolina, to a father, Eugene Avery Adams, who was an African Methodist Episcopal minister and educator. The ministry was in the family blood, as Brogdon said his grandfather's grandfather was a preacher too. What also was in the family blood was speaking out against social injustice and racism. Brogdon himself spoke at a peaceful protest march in his hometown of Atlanta after George Floyd, a black man, was murdered by police officer Derek Chauvin in Minneapolis in 2020. Brogdon said his grandfather's passion for civil rights was actually sparked by the Ku Klux Klan during his childhood. His grandfather was involved heavily with the church as well, 
So I guess the wrong people in town didn't like it, Brogdon said. So the KKK came and burned crosses in their backyard. So I remember him telling a story of how they woke up and the front yard was on fire because the KKK had just come. And I know that's one of the stories that, as a child, really lit a fire for him. My family, my grandparents, have always been outspoken. My grandmother as well. She's still here, and she tells stories of white folks in the town when they were growing up, calling the house and threatening to kill them while my grandfather was away traveling. Adams graduated from HBCU Johnson C. Smith University with a bachelor's degree in sacred theology. It was at the Boston University School of Theology that he earned a master's degree in sacred theology and was a classmate of King's. King's completed his residence for a doctorate in 1953 and received his PhD in 1955 at the Boston University of Theology. My grandfather talked about how brilliant King was, just what a leader he was, the charisma he had, and just his amazing life, Brogdon said. Adams was also a regular at marches led by King. He was instrumental in helping the NAACP organize the first King Day at the Dome March in 2000 in Columbia, South Carolina, to protest the Confederate flag flying above the State House on the anniversary of the birth of King. The Confederate flag at the South Carolina State House was taken down in 2015. The NBA will celebrate MLK Day with a nine-game slate. It opens with Brogdon and the Celtics playing against the host, Charlotte Hornets. Brogdon, who was actually named after human rights activist Malcolm X, considers it an honor to play on King's holiday. Brogdon's grandfather became very fond of the Celtics, beginning when he was going to school in Boston, because he was a big fan of their former patriarch and head coach, Arnold Red Orbach, A-U-R-B-A-C-H, and the star center, Bill Russell. Brogdon was traded from the Indiana Pacers to the Celtics on July 9th. Brogdon wishes his grandfather could have seen him play for his beloved Celtics. And then when I came here, my mom called me. She was like, you know your grandfather would be up there dancing in heaven because you're with Boston now. Like King, Adams is a storied civil rights leader with his impact mainly in Seattle. Adams' first major impact as a civil rights leader was while he was pastor of the first AME church in Seattle from 1962 to 1968. During that time, he was also chair for the Central Area Civil Rights Committee and co-founded Central Area Motivation Program, America's first war on poverty agency. Adams joined then NAACP leader Charles V. Johnson, then Urban League director Ed Pratt, and then Core and later Model Cities director Walter Hundley, H-U-N-D-L-E-Y, in changing Seattle's social movement politics. The mantle of being the nosy spokesperson fell to me for many reasons, Adams once told the University of Washington in 2005 about his time in Seattle. One, I was the pastor of the largest congregation in the Pacific Northwest. Therefore, I had some clout that I did not earn. I inherited it because I was at that big congregation. Two, my livelihood was underwritten by black folks, so I could say what needed to be said with impunity, and so I did. Now, everybody 
At first, AME Church did not agree with me, and eventually most of them did, but initially I met some resistance to being that kind of pastor. Brockton added his grandmother used to get angry, threatening, and racist phone calls with people threatening their family for her husband being outspoken about racism. My grandfather was very aligned with Dr. King, very aligned with peaceful protest, that being the way to desegregate this country to get black people equal opportunities and rights. But that was definitely his path. Adams moved to Los Angeles in 1968 when he became pastor of Grant AME Church in the Watts neighborhood. In 1972, he was named the 87th Bishop of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Adams had served as bishop for five separate Episcopal districts including his home district in South Carolina from 1992 to 2000, before retiring in 2005 and moving to Atlanta. Adams served as a member of the Board of Trustees for the Interdenominational Theological Center in Atlanta, Allen University in Columbia, South Carolina, Edward Waters College in Jacksonville, Florida, and Morris Brown College in Atlanta. The Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity member was also the founder and chairman emeritus of the Congress of National Black Churches. His name is also on an administration building at Paul Quinn College and an athletic facility at Allen University. The importance of education has always been stressed by Brogdon's grandfather on his family. Malcolm Brogdon earned degrees from University of Virginia College of Arts and Sciences, and the Batten School of Leadership and Public Policy. Overall in my family, specifically my grandfather, left a legacy of caring for your people, your community, making the world a better place, and the way you do that is through education, Brogdon said. Every time I was in an AME setting or a church setting, people would come up to me, your grandfather, the bishop, he's an amazing guy, or he was an amazing man. People still tell me that. He left a footprint in this country and a lot of cities in this country and on the black community and the black community overall. This article is titled, On MLK Day, Malcolm Brogdon Has a Personal Civil Rights Leader to Look Up To, written by Mark J. Spears and Scape. January 16th, 2023. That's all the time we have for the African American Hour. My name is Rosemary Onkwe. Thanks for joining us.